in this situation. At some point in your life, you have been in this situation. You have been in the situation where there are a couple of people that are picking teams. And you know how this goes. One person starts and the other person goes and they go back and forth and they pick different people. And you have been in this situation. Now, I don't know if you get picked first or towards the front or if you get picked last and towards the back. But there is a moment in this scenario that we all have experienced in some form or fashion. There is a moment where each and every one of us think, whether it's for a fleeting moment or for whether it's for a very long moment, oh no, I'm going to be chosen last. Oh no, I will be picked last. Oh no, I am not good enough. There is some kind of moment that each and, of us, each and every one of us have experienced where we think, what happens if I am chosen last? Now, uh, I used to have this big fear of being chosen last. And let me tell you why I don't have this fear anymore. It is a particular day in PE class 6th grade. And I can remember the moment that this scenario played itself out. Where our PE teacher, and I guess going through the curriculum of like, you know, involving you or exposing you to different sports, this particular week or day, uh, our PE teacher was uh, having us play a game of softball. Sixth graders playing softball during PE, and our PE teacher on this day, he picked two of my peers, not me, is one of them. He picked two of my peers, and he had them choose the teams, back and forth, picking. And I had that moment. I had that fear. Oh, no, what if I get picked last? Or, oh, no, what if I'm towards the bottom of being picked? And so, picks one and two and three and four and back and forth, and I am not getting picked, and my anxiety is going up as a sixth-grade boy who's not getting picked for one of these softball teams. And I'm starting to think, well, what if they just don't choose me? What if I just, you know, fail PE right here and right now? And I remember it came down to me and one, uh, one other guy. And I thought, oh no, is it worse to go last or second to last? And I got chosen second to last. And the reason why I'm not afraid to be chosen last anymore is because I remember vividly standing in line to have my at-bat for the softball exercise that we were doing in PE. And the guy that was chosen last right behind me, and I can remember vividly the bat flying out of the hand of the girl at bat, swinging through the air and hitting Justin in the face. Right into the mouth. He lost two teeth that day. And I remember thinking, well, it's not so bad to be chosen last. Because if I had been chosen last, I would have lost two teeth by the bat that day. And I've never been afraid to be chosen last. I thought, or, you know, I've kind of just not been afraid to have that. Because if it happens, then I would lose teeth. That's kind of been my thought process. Now, we all have this fear. Because we don't want to be chosen last. Really, in life, whether it's in work, whether it's with family, whether it's with play, we don't like that. None of us like the idea of thinking or knowing that maybe we don't measure up. None of us have, uh, not, or all of us, excuse me, have that somewhere in us, that fear that we may be the weakest 
of the group. We're built that way. In fact, we are raised that way in our society and culture. We are raised to be first. We are raised to have the mentality to be the best. We are raised to be the people who can have exceptional skill. We admire the exceptional ones in our culture. From acting to sports, everything else in between, we admire the exceptional ones. And the problem with this mentality of not wanting to be last is that it goes against everything that Jesus teaches us. It goes against our spiritual upbringing. And we carry over this mentality that we must be chosen first, we must be the strongest into our spiritual lives. That is not biblical. It is not godly. In fact, Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, and especially in Revelation, teaches us that being first does not mean you are first. And in fact, there is value in being weak and last through the eyes of God. And you have been in this situation. And you may be experiencing this scenario even in this church community. I don't know if I can. I'm not sure if I'm able to. I don't know if I have the skill to participate in. All of these things go through our minds because we wonder if we have the exceptional ability to do the things that may be required of the situation. And so what we do is, and this is why this is a problem in our spiritual lives, because what we do is, is if we don't think we are one of the exceptional ones, we don't do it. Well, that's not for me. You know, that's, and I've heard this, and this, this really irks me, that's not my spiritual gift. First of all, get over yourself. And secondly, realize that God has placed you in that moment or in this church for a reason. And you don't have to be exceptional. By whatever standard you think exceptional is, you do not have to fear being chosen last. Jesus says those who are chosen last will be first in the kingdom of God. Those who are servants will be the leaders. Those who look out for the weak will be lifted up. I want you to hear this this morning. I want you to hear this message out of Ephesians chapter 1. I want to pick up in verse 4, and I just want you to listen. I just want you to hear God's message, His words through the Apostle Paul to you and to this church today. Ephesians 1. And even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us into Himself through Christ Jesus. This is what He wanted to do. And it gave Him great pleasure. 
So we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. Did you hear it? Oh, you, you missed some of that, right? And even if you heard some of it, you didn't get all of it. Because there was a baby talking, there was a train, there was a horn, there was traffic, there was even a couple of infomercials in there, and it bombarded us in the midst of the message that you need to hear. And that is the problem. Now, whether you want to admit it or not, there's a reality here that we need to start embracing, and that is God has competition. Oh, God can't have competition. He's God. Well, every single day of my life, I can recall there being competition against God. There is competition and God has it. And there are many, many, many distractions wanting to pull us away from hearing Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 through 6 in particular. In fact, I would make the argument that every single day, especially in 21st century America, we are bombarded with all kinds of messages. We are bombarded with noises that want to take us away from hearing and understanding and knowing the truth that God has chosen you. No, 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 He doesn't choose me. I'm the weakest of the group. No, 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 he, there is no way God has chosen me. I can't do this. There is no way God has chosen What we do is, is we start buying into the competition. And God has competition. The evil one is really good at this world thing, and he wants to distract us. And so there's a visual that came to mind when I was thinking about this and and reading through Ephesians 1 this morning. And it it is this image right here. It is the image of a kid with a dodgeball. I'm going to be at camp in a couple of weeks. And there's an there's a alter, altered dodgeball game that we play. And, and it's just, you know, ball, you know the game of dodgeball. These balls are just flying through the air and people are just getting pegged after one after another. And there's always this kid right here. The really, really good one who's really fast and has a great arm and he's always looking for you, the weak link. And he is ready to take the ball that he seemingly has in his hand at all times. And he is ready to peg you with it. This is the competition. The evil one is really good at playing dodgeball. And he is really good at bombarding each and every one of us with all kinds of distractions and noises. So that we don't hear Ephesians chapter 1. And so maybe, more than anything else this morning, we have to start wrestling with this idea that there is competition. That God has it. And if we're honest with ourselves too often, God loses. Not by His will, but by ours. The noise is deafening. The distractions are overwhelming. 
He is throwing those balls fast. And even though there's a rule not to hit you in the head, he seems to hit you in the head every time. That's the reality that you and I live in. Oh, well, but, but we have the Bible on our phone and, we, and I listen to Christian music, whatever that is. And, and I do all these, I have these Bible studies and everything else. Yes, and the competition and the noises seem to ratchet up when we do those kinds of things. The noise gets deafening and the, and the balls keep flying and the little kid that is so fast and so quick just keeps pounding you with the ball over and over again. There is competition. We need to know that. We need to be aware of that. Some quick examples. How about Exodus chapter 20? The very first commandment of God's people. Now God's not giving commands because He wants to be a stickler for rules. He wants relationship. And the first thing out of His mouth with these, with these newly released Israelites out of slavery is he wants a relationship and that he knows that his people must remember who he is. Exodus chapter 20, verse 2 and 3. God says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must have, you must not have any other God but me. Now, we hear that, and we understand it, but there's competition for this idea. There is competition for who our God's little G's are. And it starts with what's in your hand. It starts with the politicians in your ears. It starts with the images that come across your, your eyes. It starts with the desires that you have for more. Those little G-gods bombard us every single day, every waking moment. They are vying for our attention, not to maybe necessarily throw us off or get us off, but to have make sure that Exodus chapter two verse, uh, Exodus 20, verses 2 and 3 is not a reality, that God is first. You can have God. But make sure there's other things involved with that. And what God is saying to His people in Exodus chapter 20 is, I don't want to just be a part of your life, I want to be your life. And the bombardment and the competition is you can have other things. It's okay to constantly look at the lives of other people that are streaming on your soul. It is okay to be on that political team and have those. It is okay to, to watch those kinds of things. It is okay to have a desire of comfort. These are things in competition to Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 and 3. How about Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, the end of the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus' invitation, if you will, to the sermon. It's a great song as well. Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Now, the bombardment of ideas and teachings today especially are that, you know what, you can have other wisdom there are other things that can be injected into this that you can be wise 
with the teachings of others or the wisdom of other places. That there are other wise people. And in fact, we are not, this is a bombardment, a lie of Satan, that we are not enlightened people unless we consider and think about and accept all wise teaching. And Jesus is quite clear here, and sometimes we need to not just hear it, but we need to listen to it, that those who are wise in the eyes of God are those who listen to Jesus. But there is competition. Which made me think of this last example, Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. I could have gone to thousands of examples. I limited myself to these three because in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus tells those who are listening, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Now there is a fundamental truth in these two verses. And that truth is, God made you. He has conceived you from the very beginning of your existence to be salt and to be light. You're not working up to it. You're not someday going to achieve it. You're not going to have the degree someday to be considered salt and light. He has made you to be salt and light. The world says you are weak. The world says, well, you don't have the ability. The world says you don't have the degrees. The world says you are not quite there. And the the word of God, the words of Jesus Christ say, God made you with purpose. And he has made you with love and hope. He's made you to be something powerfully strong, like salt. Incredibly influential, like light. But there's competition to that message. And sometimes we forget that. That's why when there are good messages, worthy messages, I like to pay attention to them. I like them uh, to be around. And this is one that I've been hearing for a while. And, and there are, there, there's many others, but this is just one that just came uh, to the forefront of my thoughts. And and, and one that just really has stuck out to me over the last uh, few months, however long this particular song has been out. It's a song by Lauren Daigle called You Say. And the message is a message that needs to be listened to. Because it's one that reminds us that we're going to hear all kinds of messages of the world and of our selfishness But there is a voice that needs to drown out those messages. I'm not going to play the whole song, but I'm going to play a little bit of the song because I think it's that good of a song. And I want us to hear a little bit of this message. So just about a minute of this, Eddie. Just the sum of every high and 
curious to how many of us really truly believe that our identity is found in the voice of God alone. The only thing that matters is everything you, God, think of me. There's great competition for your heart and for your soul. There's great competition for each and every one of our attention. The other things weigh us down. The ongoing message and bombardments of the evil one want to throw us off course. The message of more. Message of not yet, maybe, or someday. How often have we bought into the message of never, or just good luck? God says you're His. God says He loves you. And God says He is with you. And most importantly, God says, you are chosen. Ephesians chapter 1. Even before He made the world, that's God. Even before He made the world. God loved you. And He chose you in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. I forgave your sins. He has showered His kindness on you. Along with all wisdom and understanding, God has now revealed to you His mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill His own good plan. Verse 10. And this is the plan. At the right time, He will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. And furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For He chose you in advance. And He makes everything. And He makes everything work out according to His plan. I want you to leave with Ephesians 1. 
You were chosen. And that message will be in competition. And you will think, and you will buy into, and I will think, and I will buy into from time to time that God chose me last. There is no way He finds value in me. God chose you before He even created the world. He chose you to be Jesus today. Now that message is going to be in... And that kid's going to throw that ball a lot of times because of this one. God chose you to be the Jesus of today. And I'm not saying to be perfect, but to be whole in God. He has chosen you and He has chosen me. He has given us life through His Son to be the message and to be the love and to be the care that Jesus was and is through us. He loved us and He chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault. That's because of Jesus. He chose us in advance. He has a plan and a work for you. Secondly, you are chosen to be His, to be a part of His family. God decided in advance to adopt you into His family, Paul says. God decided in advance long ago that this community would come to its existence and this community would be a part of His church. And this church would do His will. And this church would be purchased through the freedom of His Son, through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. This church was chosen. You are chosen. God says, not me. Let's pray together. Father, may we work hard to drown out the noise that is in competition to your word, to your truth. May we as people hear what you have to say to us. You say, we are chosen. You, above the noise and above the distractions, above our selfish desires, have chosen us. You say that. You love us. And we are yours. Bless us. And watch out for us. And God, help us. When that dodgeball comes flying in, help us to know what you say. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.